Hey, this is Mohal Joshi from Los Angeles, California. I follow Indian foreign policy and defense with a special focus on Asia. You can follow me on Twitter at Mohal Joshi. Hey, this is Kishore Narayan from Bengaluru in India. I am an international relations expert specializing in global security, conflict resolution, and international negotiation. My focus areas include peace building and digital diplomacy. You can find me on Twitter at Veggie Diplomat. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of India Rising Strategic Affairs Conversations with Mohal and Kishore a show in which we analyze the happenings from around the world and their impact on India. So uh, listeners today in today's episode, uh, we will be talking about the surprise decision taken by the Indian government to revoke Article 370, which guaranteed special status to the state of Jammu and Kashmir. Now, after weeks and days of uh, intense speculation, around the situation in the Indian state of Jammu and Kashmir, the Modi government finally revealed its cards uh, on August 5th, Monday, just this past Monday, and in one fell swoop, fundamentally transformed India's relationship with the state. Uh, the current Home Minister, Amit Shah, announced in Parliament uh, the uh, scrapping of Article 370, which exempted Jammu and Kashmir from the Indian constitution, except the Article 1 part of it and Article 370 and permitted the state to draft its own constitution. Uh, the state will now be bifurcated into two union territories, Ladakh, which would be without a legislature or an assembly as it's called, and Jammu and Kashmir, which will have its own legislature. Uh, while the government received the support uh, in parliament from parties like uh, BSP, AAP, BJD, YSR and its ally JD, uh, its ally JDU walked out of the house in opposition to the move. Predictably, political leaders from the state called the move unconstitutional and warned of dangerous consequences. Now, in some ways, uh, the move should not have been surprising given that BJP has talked about abrogation of Article 370 and 35A in its 2019 manifesto and also its previous manifestos. Uh, they have never been shy of making their preferences clear on, the, on this matter. Uh, Shama Prasad Mukherjee, the founder of the Bharatiya Jansang, the predecessor to the current BJP, was imprisoned by the Sheikh Abdullah government in Srinagar, where he died in 1953 championing the cause of fuller integration of Jammu and Kashmir with India. Since then, this issue has resonated with the rank and file in the party. Uh, the Modi's government, uh, government strong mandate for a second term has all but ensured that this issue would be up front and center for its new agenda. For any government, this issue is a tinderbox, but uh, PM Modi has time and again demonstrated his penchant for calibrated risk taking. So the last few weeks saw the ground gradually being prepared for such a move which would have long term consequences for the country and could potentially be the high watermark of the Modi government if managed carefully. So uh, Kishore, uh, can you let us know about the domestic politics uh, in the I would say like now the erstwhile state of Jammu and Kashmir since it's a union territory now. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, we'll have to take the listeners uh, all the way back up to 2014 uh, when the state had its uh, uh, legislature elections. Remember, as part of the Article 370, Jammu and Kashmir had a six-year term for its legislature as compared to five-year terms in the rest of the country. Now, in the 2014 state elections, uh, to the legislature, which had 87 seats in total, this led to a hung assembly with the uh, People's Democratic Party, the PDP, uh, becoming the single largest party with uh, 28 uh, seats. The BJP, the ruling uh, party in the center, became the second largest party with 25 seats. Now, the PDP and the BJP alliance under the leadership of uh, Mufti Muhammad Sayyid uh, came into power and uh, they were providing the administration until the untimely death of the chief minister Mufti Muhammad Sayyid. At that point in time, there was a vacuum for about three months. And uh, by April of that year, 2016, uh, his daughter Mehbooba Mufti became the chief minister, uh, thereby again uh, having a second innings for the PDP-BJP alliance. Now, immediately after Mehbooba Mufti became the chief minister in uh, the summer of 2016, Burhan Wani, a commander of the uh, terror group Hezbul Mujahideen, was killed in an encounter by the Indian armed forces. This resulted in a massive unrest in the Kashmir Valley for almost two years, with stone pelting reaching abnormally high levels. Now, it slowly dawned upon the establishment that the earlier demands of Azadi, uh, roughly translated to independence, were now being replaced by demands for jihad. It was accused that Pakistan was funding the Hurriyat uh, and the other actors who would organize these stone pelting protests. As the investigations into the root causes of stone pelting dug deeper, dangerous patterns emerged as to how mainstream political party, the PDP, uh, which was ruling the state, either turned a blind eye or was in cahoots with the separatists like the Hurriyat. BJP, uh, on its part, had to face brickbats for not able to convince its alliance partner to rein in, uh, to rein in the stone pelters. However, in uh, June 2018, a little over two years after Mehbooba Mufti uh, assumed power, things changed irreversibly when BJP revoked the support and Mehbooba Mufti had to quit, uh, resulting in governor's rule. Six months later, in November, there were attempts by both the BJP and the PDP to form governments separately. BJP wanted to prop up Sajjad loan uh, an ex-militant uh, turned uh, legislator uh, who has his own party called the People's Conference or the Jammu and Kashmir People's Conference in uh, in full. Uh, they wanted the uh, Sajjad Loan as the chief minister and piggyback on him to establish firm control over the valley. However, at the same time, PDP led by Mehbooba Mufti and the National Conference led by Omar Abdullah were attempting the unthinkable of coming together to form an alliance with the support of the Congress party. 
while all this was happening and mehbooba had outsmarted the bjp and had sent out a letter to the governor claiming majority in the assembly the governor himself did not acknowledge the receipt of the facts and issued a recommendation to the union government asking for dissolution of the state assembly almost immediately new delhi had imposed governor's rule on the state of jammu and kashmir leaving both the mainstream political parties fuming this meant that the general elections uh, were were due in less than 4 months and new delhi could not have taken any decision at that point in time now 4 uh, 5 months after the general elections now in august 2019 the central government led by bjp again has finally decided to dilute or revoke article 370 and also bifurcate the state into two union territories yes sir okay, sure. i think uh, um, sorry like just in years to come assuming mm-hmm. this stands up the legal scrutiny i mm-hmm. think the role of this mysterious fax machine will be talked about for long time oh absolutely in fact that was the day when uh, the state machinery would shift from srinagar to jammu, jammu. as mm-hmm. part of the as part of the annual jamboree where they change mm-hmm. from the summer capital to the winter capital and then back so that day was the day when uh, the apparatus would shift from srinagar to jammu mm-hmm. and the governor was used that as an excuse uh, to claim that mm-hmm. he was either busy to not pick up the yeah. calls mm-hmm. or uh, uh, his fax machine was not working yeah so in the uh, annals of history uh, I mean, this is going to be probably the most talked about fax machine in Indian history, probably. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so continuing from uh, where we left. Now, during the first tenure of Modi, it was often alleged that the NDA did not have a Kashmir policy worth debating. And Mohan, you and I have been uh, speaking about this in our earlier episodes as well. Yes. So mm-hmm. we have we have kind of discussed how NDA. NDA's Kashmir policy was uh, kind of going nowhere. Now, now that uh, we see that all the moves made by BJP were pointing in one direction only, to ensure that safety and security of people are safeguarded, and also to ensure that politically thorny issues are also dealt with. BJP has now come out with a definite plan for the future of uh, the state of Jammu and Kashmir, not restricting itself to only dealing with terrorists. disturbing peace and order it has shown its determination to move ahead simultaneously on many fronts towards peace and prosperity in the troubled state since the union territory of jammu and kashmir will have a legislature there will be no curtailment of political activity however narrow party interests will not become impediments in the path of development and progress in fact mohal i was shocked to to hear that the gram panchayat had absolutely no power they were just uh, rubber stamps in the state of jammu and kashmir and uh, they did not get any money to spend on the local uh, villages so all that would now change uh, with the abrogation of article 370 and the central government <coughs> playing an active role so the gram panchayats will now be empowered through direct funding and uh, they would now become the building blocks to usher in democratic processes at the grassroots level 
besides serving as nurseries for future political leadership. It's good that uh, the government finally has got it hacked together and now has a Kashmir policy worth talking about. Mohal? Yeah, and e even the, uh, not only the Gram Panchayats, but also the local body elections hadn't been held uh, for a, quite some time. And finally, under the governor's rule, they were held late last year, which interestingly, both uh, Umar Abdullah's both. National Conference and Mehbooda Mufti's uh, PDP had boycotted and which resulted in uh, uh, BJP and like Congress winning a lot of the seats. So uh, there was a issue that like uh, the Gram Panchayats and the local bodies were not being given enough attention and the Kashmir was run on the writ of two major political families. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In fact, by virtue of those two parties uh, boycotting the uh, local body elections, BJP ended up grabbing the local bodies in many towns and cities in uh, Kashmir Valley mm -hmm. as well, yeah, not just yeah. in Jammu or in Ladakh area. Yeah, just that the voting percentage in some of those elections was very low. But uh, anyways, so let's move on to the legal quagmire that many had referred to Article 370. So Kishore, can you please elaborate for the listeners on it? Yeah, so uh, let's just uh, try to uh, briefly explain what happened and how Article 370 was uh, abrogated. So basically what the union government did was that they used Article 370 against itself and abrogated it. Let me explain. Home Minister Amit Shah introduced two bills, one resolution and also tabled one presidential order regarding Jammu and Kashmir. In total, there were four items. One was a constitution uh, order to, of 2019. Another was a resolution for repeal of Article 370 of the Constitution. The third one was Jammu and Kashmir Reorganization Bill 2019. And then the fourth one was Jammu and Kashmir Reservation Second Amendment Bill 2019. So in step one, uh, the 2019 President's Order removed 35A and or, removed Article 35A and all other special privileges to the state of Jammu and Kashmir. Now what happened was that uh, uh, this order because of the clause 1D of Article 370 gives the President of India power to do so uh, provided that it is in consultation with the government of the state currently meaning the governor of the state. Now uh, clause 1D uh, kind of applies uh, in relation to that state subject to any exceptions and modifications as the president uh, may by order specify. In simple words, in simple layman terms, clause 1D of Article, of Article 370 implies that only the president through a, through a written confirmation from the state's uh, legislative body can uh, expand or contract the scope of Article 370. That is all it meant. Now what happens now is the 2019 order supersedes the, its own predecessor, the 1954 order issued by the then president in conference with the then state legislature. The 1954 order had given astonishing autonomy to the state of Jammu and Kashmir. Most important and outrageous of them being the introduction of the Article 35A into existence. 
giving Jammu and Kashmir legislature exclusive powers to define who would be the permanent resident, uh, how to give them special rights and privileges, and also impose restrictions on outsiders, put special conditions for uh, state government employment, etc., etc. In addition, uh, the 1954 order also added a proviso to the Article 3 of the Constitution stating that no bill can be tabled in the parliament without the consent of Jammu and Kashmir legislature if it dealt with increasing or diminishing the area or altering the name or boundary of the state. Now, Mohal, if you remember, we had quite a, uh, quite a few conversations on Twitter with a few other uh, people where everybody thought that an art, that an automatic trifurcation of the state would imply that Article 370 would go away. Now, unfortunately, uh, that was not the case, and we kept uh, repeating the same thing to everybody, telling unless and until Article 370 is repeated, the state could not be the state boundaries could not be modified in any form or shape. Anyway. Uh, be that ahead me. Now, with the 2019 order, it did away with the whole 1954 order, including the about to uh, about to privileges that I just mentioned. Now, in step two, the 2019 order makes the whole Indian constitution applicable to the state of Jammu and Kashmir, uh, wherein the clause two of the 2019 order extends all the provisions of the Indian constitution to that state. Now remember that the only condition mandated by clause 1D of article 370 to issue such an order is that it should be in concurrence with the government of the state, which at present is the governor. So this is perfectly legal and constitutional. Now let's move to step 3. Article Using the article 370 to kill article 370 via something called the article 367. Now, the 2019 order amended the Article 367 of the Constitution, which generally deals with uh, the general rules regarding the interpretation of the Constitution, to insert four subclauses which clarify that references to the state government in Article 370, uh, references to the state government or Sadar e Riyasat. Uh, in Article 370 should be construed as reference to the governor of the state. Most importantly, the 2019 order via Article 367 amended Clause 3 of Article 370, which allowed the president to abrogate Article 370 itself. And that is why I said that uh, the government used uh, Article 370 on 370 itself by virtue of the article 367. Now, uh, since the condition was that the president needed concurrence of the constituent assembly of Jammu and Kashmir, but that constituent assembly ceased to exist in 1956 itself. Hence, the article uh, 370 had taken a permanent form. Now, anyway, now uh, switching over to step four, with all this, the parliament now recommended removal of Article 370 to the president. Now, given that Jammu and Kashmir legislative assembly's powers are with the parliament, Amit Shah moved a resolution in both houses to recommend to the president the removal of Article 370. Essentially, the government used Article 
to pass the 2019 presidential order rendering the whole article 370 itself obsolete and then pass the resolution in both houses to even remove the obsolete article 370 and replacing it with a simple statement extending all provisions of indian constitution to the state of jammu and kashmir with this came step 5 wherein the whole state was bifurcated and as part of the bifurcation the two parts of the state were then uh, i don't want to use the word demoted but were then transformed into union territories which mohal uh, you already spoke about ladakh will have will not have a legislature but the union territory of uh, jammu and kashmir will have a legislature and will have its own uh, chief minister and that is where uh, the local uh, political parties like uh, the national conference and the pdp mm-hmm. can continue to be relevant if the people of the state if the people of the union territory wish so this was how uh, legally but, uh, but mm-hmm. yeah so this was how legally uh, the central government kind of uh, uh, made use of the loopholes within the system to abrogate the article 370 mohal yeah so um, i think the important thing is that uh, converting it to union territory also had one more impact i mean comparing it to like a state of delhi or nct national capital territory uh which means that the important security functions like police would come under the purview of the central government so the jammu and kashmir police would not be uh controlled by the local uh pdp or national conference in case they came to power but would be under the purview of the central government which would help them to uh control the situation uh better versus a local party which would have which would have soft separatist leanings to uh go easy on the terrorist in the state mm-hmm. yeah so one allegation there on the central government is that with the with the state now being split and jammu and kashmir now becoming a union territory this will not give enough scope for local political parties to exist anymore but then uh, that is, that allegation is unfounded simply because we have uh, a union territory like puducherry which has its own political party and which continues to be a major player within the union territory so uh, pdp national conference and even the people at conference of sajjad loan can continue to be relevant if they again uh, uh, win the heart and minds of the people and same for like aam aadmi party like they would they are not a national party per se and they are still in power in delhi right right yes yes so yeah i think that was uh, uh, about the legal quagmire and uh, how the union government managed to get out of it uh, let's let's uh, switch perspectives and the so one last can... thing here so the mm-hmm. 370 basically hasn't been totally abrogated because article 1 uh, is still a part of it which i think uh, states that it's a part of uh, india correct no, but it's article, like they just the uh, article 1 was uh, article 1 was like the overarching uh, article within the constitution which kind of uh, refers to the geographical extent of the uh, of the state that is india so article 1 uh, 
would not be directly related to 370 that continues uh, without mm. any change but, but 370 has been more like diluted versus totally abrogated diluted because of the uh, step uh, because of clause 1d within the article 370 mm -hmm. you are right yeah yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, switching over now, Mohan. Uh, if you can now talk about the Pakistani angle to the whole uh, uh, whole unfolding of the events. Yeah, so these developments uh, definitely caught the Pakistanis by surprise, as they didn't expect Article 370 to ever go away in their lifetimes. Mm -hmm. Now, Pakistan tried to court various nations to put pressure on India. But I mean, most of them say that it, since it was an internal matter of India, they had nothing uh, really to say in the matter. I mean, there was just like one single uh, protest from the usual suspect Turkey, which all which has had close relations with Pakistan. Even during uh, Bala court, uh, they expressed their uh, support with Pakistan uh, uh, in a mild statement. Uh, even China, like. Uh, their close ally or their iron brother uh, didn't come to their uh, support by supporting their position against India. On a side note, I mean, China did express its opposition to India's move to create a separate territory, Union territory of Ladakh, which they claim is part of Western, Western Tibet and they claim as being part of their territory. Uh, but there was no mention of the Jammu and Valley regions, which are uh, in dispute by Pakistan with India. Now, if you remember, like just a few weeks ago in the end of July, uh, the Pakistanis had considered the visit of their Prime Minister Imran Khan and Arm Army Chief uh, General Bajwa to Washington as a huge success. I mean, they must be have been rubbing their hands in glee when US President Donald Trump in his meeting with Imran Khan uh, mentioned like about offering to mediate between uh, India and Pakistan on the Kashmir issue. I mean, in India, the response to this offer of uh, so-called offer of mediation, which as per Trump came from directly from PM Modi was immediately uh, pushed back and clarified by Indian MEA to be simply not true. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look at that in a more global picture uh, with the withdrawal of US forces from Afghanistan under Trump, uh, Pakistan with the Taliban and Haqqani proxies would want to gain control in Afghanistan. So this way they can gain their so-called so strategic depth against India by controlling who rules Afghanistan. Now once the security cover of the NATO-led forces is gone, the civilian government could very well be deposed in Kabul with uh, the Taliban returning to power. Now this is potential to cause deterioration of India's India-Afghanistan ties plus danger to India's projects in Afghanistan which could come to immediate security threat. Now no one needs a reminder that post withdrawal of another great power the USSR in 1989 from Afghanistan resulted in a terrorist spilling over into Jammu and Kashmir to create massive problems for India. So, Kishore, anything you have to add here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, two points. One is uh, uh, on the 5th of August, uh, as and when uh, the events were unfolding in the Indian parliament, uh, the Pakistani establishment, as you rightly said, they were kind of taken by surprise. 
and uh, the earliest uh, reactions uh, coming in from Islamabad were actually quite muted and uh, it it actually took them two to three days to convene a special uh, uh, parliament session in Islamabad and then come out with an official statement but within that period of uh, the three days uh, there were muted uh, responses and they were even questioning as to how uh, article 370 was of no use uh, and how uh, uh, India and uh, the state of Jammu and Kashmir had literally no ties connecting them despite the presence of article 370. Now within, within three days in the parliament uh, they, they passed a resolution telling that article 370 was the only link that uh, connected uh, uh, Srinagar with uh, New Delhi and that uh, this abrogation would imply that uh, uh, India would now uh, be looked upon as an oppressor in the state of Jammu and Kashmir. Anyway, so that's the funny part of how uh, Islamabad looks at its uh, immediate uh, neighborhood. Now the other point that uh, Indian media has somehow been uh, uh, failing to uh, bring out into limelight is that there was an attempt by Pakistan in 2018 to add Gilgit-Baltistan as the fifth province of Pakistan. Remember mm -hmm. that Gilgit-Baltistan is a part of the state of Jammu and Kashmir which is now under the control of Pakistan. Now Gilgit-Baltistan uh, was some kind of an autonomous region even under uh, Maharaja Hari Singh in the princely state. Now, yeah. uh, now the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor, the CPEC, passes through Gilgit-Baltistan and then into uh, Pakistan proper uh, when it comes from uh, China. And uh, because Gilgit-Baltistan continued to be some kind of uh, continued to be in some kind of an uh, administrative limbo, not uh, not being directly ruled from uh, Islamabad and at the same time not getting any advantage of her benefits, China uh, tried to push Pakistan to uh, kind of annex Gilgit-Baltistan into Pakistan proper and that is when uh, Pakistan made this move. Now as and when Pakistan announced that it was about to do this, the other part of uh, Jammu and Kashmir which is under Pakistani control uh, the Ahad Kashmir that they uh, refer to as and which we refer to as Pakistan occupied uh, Jammu and Kashmir, the POJK, the legislature, the legislators from POJK uh, carried out massive protests telling that Islamabad had no right to split uh, Jammu and Kashmir that was in their control and uh, integrate or annex one part of it directly into Pakistan. So this was a direct uh, attempt by Pakistan to split a, split the state while actually considering it to be a disputed territory. Now if uh, Pakistan accuses India of doing that, uh, it, it does not have to look too far be, uh, too far back. Uh, just have to look at uh, what happened in 2018 uh, in terms of how Gilgit-Baltistan was annexed as uh, the fifth province of Pakistan. So yeah, that's something that the Indian media has failed to uh, pick up or uh, show, throw light on. So uh, yeah, so Mohal, uh, if we can now talk about what would be the potential uh, steps for Pakistan in the near future. 
Yeah, so uh, what happens next is um, the question on everybody's mind today. So the initial sense of shock in Pakistan has slowly been replaced by anger, including calls for them to provide, as they say, a befitting response to India at what they call, what they consider this to be a provocative step. Now, Pakistan has taken some steps in the meanwhile, like closing of the Vaga border, uh, sending back the Indian High Commissioner in Islamabad and stopping all cross-border trade. Uh, they also, I think, uh, stopped the the Lahore bus and also the Samjuta Express. The Tharak Express and the Bahrain. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, but these are like mostly cosmetic steps which will have little impact, and it's mostly for satisfying their domestic audience. Now, uh, I mean. As one can see on the Pakistani news channels nowadays, like they've been going pretty ballistic on over this move, which I mean doesn't impact them uh, big time, but uh, the mindset has such been set over the years that uh, it has totally unnerved the Pakistanis. So what happens next? Like a conventional attack, while plausible, is unlikely given Pakistan's. Uh, is unlikely, but given Pakistan's history of behavior and current position, uh, they already have promised to up the ante by the death by a thousand cuts of asymmetric warfare strategy. Now, Imran Khan uh, has said on record that incidents like Pulwama are bound to happen again. I mean, implicitly sort of claiming that like Pulwama was there doing. Now, it will look to activate sleeper cells all across India and to conduct spectacular terrorist attacks like Pulwama this year or Mumbai in 2018. On the LOC, like full attempts will be made to sneak in as many terrorists to create more chaos and mayhem in the next few weeks. I mean, they won't want to wait too long because uh, otherwise the issue will be will die down and uh, there won't be an international focus on it. I mean the in the heart they would also want to add fuel to the fire that is burning in the hearts and minds of some kashmiris who feel wrong by the decision on article 370 i mean there have been reports in the media that the terrorist launch pads are full and they are looking for the right opportunity to infiltrate into kashmir i mean just this past saturday one such attempt of the pakistan bat or border action team consisting of special service group, special op forces and regular terrorists was neutralized by Indian forces uh, during one such attempt. And many other sectors of LOC have been reporting heavy exchange of fire between both sides. I mean, India has been providing a befitting response in many cases to the Pakistanis who have been taking many losses, which are not being reported completely in the media. But as you know, like many of this, uh, cross-border firing incidents are usually a cover for infiltration attempts by their uh, terrorists. Now, Pakistan might want to escalate with India in such a way that it invariably invites a forceful response from India. Now, one might wonder, like, why would this do? Because they know that once, uh, I mean, sort of the die has been cast in the terms of response, especially as you saw after the 2016 surgical strike, post the Uri attacks and in 2019 or this year with Balakot airstrikes after the Pulwama suicide bombing. So they know that this is invariably going to invite a kinetic uh, strike back option at Pakistan at, at which time maybe you know they will want to run to Uncle Sam immediately to intervene so like hold back India 
and they would want to internationalize the kashmir issue to bring uh, other players on the table to hold india back and uh, help them resolve this issue now also looking at secondly like once the escalation occurs um, expect pakistan fully to blackmail us on not cooperating with them on the future proposed withdrawal from afghanistan they would likely then say that hey because of the prevailing tensions with india their focus is on the eastern border with india versus in afghanistan in this situation they would want to extract their pound of flesh from trump and us by insisting on getting involved in kashmir including possible mediation as a condition for helping them to us withdraw uh, from afghanistan in a manner which takes care of american interest this is basically like you know blackmail saying that, hey if you don't help me with india once things have escalated to military affair uh, strikes and stuff hey i won't help you with afghanistan is like a sort of a implicit blackmail mm -hmm. and this could very well happen still this yearning for a forceful response from pakistan to india has put itself in a bind because there are not lot of options they could uh, uh, put on the table just today like imran khan said that they could use uh, their proxy elements to hit at india but because india has ratcheted up the pressure because of the fatf blacklisting they can't do that so in in a way it shows that they are also in sort of a bind that would, would they use their terrorist proxies to escalate i mean the current uh, financial situation that pakistan find itself today is like not very rosy i mean their growth has slowed down to 2 and 4.4 2.4% inflation which is already at 9% is predicted by imf to go to a sky high 13% and to combat this inflation pakistan has in raises interest rate on savings to an astronomical 13 and a quarter percent which is like unheard like unless you have massive inflation the pakistani rupee has in a free fall has depreciated 30% versus the dollar in the past 12 months and continues to fall every few weeks uh, their forex reserves are down to 7.62 billion which can't even pay for two months of exports now as if this economic woes are not big enough the next meeting of the fatf kishor which i believe is in september could see yeah. it being blacklisted which would even deal a crushing blow to an already reeling economy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so uh, you are right uh, the next meeting of fatf is in september and uh, the way i look at it there is actually a very very small window for pakistan also to uh, make you have the situation uh, winter hits in by around november december which means that uh, mm -hmm. there is hardly 4 to 5 months uh, for pakistan to play with but at the same mm -hmm. time uh trump also will have to start uh, uh pulling back troops at least in a few batches starting say jan february because uh us will essentially get into election mode by uh, may mm -hmm. or june and uh, that is when their primaries will uh, will start and trump will have to prove a point that uh, he kind of uh, stopped or he kind of uh, pulled back the american True. So again, uh, there is. Uh, yeah, and also like I think today, yeah, there was a report in the print uh, by Abhijit Tagar Mitra where he highlighted that lot of the military bases uh, in Pakistan or the naval shipyards they are all 
empty naval bases are empty so all their military is on the highest alert and uh -huh. even india fearing like a mumbai type attack uh, has put its navy on the highest alert uh, fearing escalation so yeah something could very well happen in the next few weeks if it was going to happen but the right. economic situation has put them in a bind on what to do because they are the 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 janta or the public in pakistan is being for blood and they will have to satisfy that lust for blood of the in in that the people are wanting while also be cognizant of the fatf meeting and probably mm -hmm. getting blacklisted in september now one immediate outcome uh, has been how uh, hafiz said has been let out but this again <laughs> yeah. would be watched by fatf and they would obviously question as to why he was let out and yeah. uh, remember fatf actually has some kind of a score sheet and letting out of hafiz said will obviously imply that pakistan would not score high in that uh, score sheet so again it's interesting times and we need to watch out okay so uh, now let's look at the geopolitical angle uh, mohal and uh, the question everybody kept asking us why to dilute or why to abrogate 317 now yeah so uh, excellent question so now one of the questions which uh, many have been wondering is why touch 370 now of all possible times so one as i said is like the withdrawal of us from afghanistan now the withdrawal could take anywhere from let's say 9 to 15 months depending on the agreed time table between us and mm -hmm. taliban i mean the us elections are 15 months away so i mean it could be just before the elections the withdrawal is complete for trump to show that he means business so now there is a possibility uh, that uh, in the vacuum after sorry yeah assuming that uh, trump would win the primary and then Uh, he would have no trump vote, is going uh, trump there is no republican challenger so he is set on the ticket okay and then also implying that uh, uh, he would start out as the firm favorite even against any uh, democrat uh, opponent otherwise yeah, i mean, I mean you will have to have some kind of a road map starting from 9 mm -hmm. or 10 months uh, way, uh, keeping yeah. it for too long or 15 months might actually Uh, yeah. jeopardize uh, his own re-election yeah i think the i mean it could the announcement could come very soon as soon as maybe early next month on right. the so so anyway so there is a possibility that in the vacuum after uh, the us withdrawal the civilian government would fall and taliban would retake the country which could be within a matter of months or even could possibly to could take years but let's say like it's earlier and not later then once pakistan secures its eastern neighbor there's a possibility that the extremist forces will be launched against uh, kashmir just like they were like three decades ago now as per a report in the hindustan times by shishir gupta on july 5 so exactly a month earlier the raw chief saman goel told Uh, pm modi that india perhaps had a month to fully integrate kashmir after which things could spin out of control also like you would do in uh, us would now probably once striking a deal with taliban or afghanistan could uh, cooperate more with pakistan uh, including uh, choosing to reward them for by resuming military and economic aid now this could see an intensification of islamabad's uh, direct and indirect sponsorship of travel trips operating in kashmir so 
uh, I mean, this was soon after this uh, July 5th meeting, uh, like the, we had the Trump uh, Imran Khan meeting where he offered to mediate between uh, India and Pakistan. So that probably would have spooked the Indian strategic circles that closely US might just look the other way white Pakistan might now feeling more confident would start to create more chaos in Kashmir. Uh, I mean, interestingly, on a sidebar, the Taliban yesterday just released a fascinating statement on the issue saying that where it urged both India and Pakistan to refrain from taking big steps that could pave a way for violence and complications in the region and usurp the right of Kashmiris. So, I mean, this was an unexpected statement from somebody like a Taliban, which because it, this, this looked more like a statement from a responsible state actor than a military organization waging a civil war. True, I mean, true, India on its part can't get fooled thinking that Taliban will not meddle in Kashmir as a future as some have indicated. But I mean, the probability is still higher, like more than 50% for sure. So now for now, for Taliban in the closing stages of its ongoing negotiations with US in Qatar, they won't they don't want any escalations uh, like an armed conflict happening between India and Pakistan which jeopardizes their deal with the US and maybe the US now because of this complications decides to leave even later than what was agreed upon. So they are also their eyes firmly on the price that awaits them in Afghanistan when US leaves and like the possible uh, I mean pushing jihadists into Kashmir is secondary for now. So anyways coming back to the, the overall geopolitical angle I mean, uh, so like India was a bit concerned that the once the US um, seals the deal with the Taliban, the, it could like have a slightly pro-Pakistan shift. Like I mean, Trump has been very critical of Pakistan since he attained office, but just to get out clean and quick, he won't care about like what happens in uh, South Asia and then you would just like look the other way while Pakistan would create chaos. So they wanted to preempt that and put this uh, order. Now coming a bit to the domestic angle, I mean the changes in the article are bound to cause a flare up in the valley region for sure. Now the government will have to do a slow easing of the clampdown that is currently present in state and I think there are some steps being taken to clue down uh, to do this. Now, there has to be a fine tune like if you lift it too soon there could be massive bloodshed well, on the other hand if you keep it too long it would unleash even more backlash if the people feel they have been subjugated under too much pressure for too long without any chance to vent their frustration and anger. So either way there is bound to be a surge in violence after the blackout and the curfew and the assembly restrictions are lifted. So I think the next three to six months through the summer and the fall will be a hard slog for the security forces in the state to keep the situation from spiraling out of control. Let's say in the long run, the worst case, once the winter sets in, the violence should abate and people will get adjusted to this new normal. I mean, the longer it takes for locals to accept this new normal, it will give Pakistan more chances to stir up problems. And this is what exactly Pakistan wants. They want longer amount of chaos. So they can politicize and create a frenzy in the friendly Western media publications uh, to internationalize the issue. So it's like, uh, but, but in the long run, this violence should abate. 
so th that gives especially the next two weeks with the uh, state uh, observing bakri eid on like august 11th and independence day soon after august 15th uh, how the security forces manage to handle the things over the next two weeks up till at least august 15th will go a long way on uh, determining how events uh, unfold in kashmir but uh, coming back to the violence part on the domestic side it cannot go on forever i mean as we know that government has been cracking down also on the financial models mm -hmm. that have been financing the stone pelters and the uh, terrorist network in the state so uh, it will eventually abate uh, like even uh, in the in the long future so uh, what the government wants to do is they just want to have the uptick in violence and then have it abate maybe three three months six months who knows i mean hopefully we won't have beyond the winter a huge surge in violence still ongoing uh, like like they had in like the burhanwani case so once the things normalize if us by the time us starts withdrawal the india wants stability in kashmir with this new so called normal that things are under control and it doesn't add fuel to fire in case taliban cross over to kashmir then so um, i mean uh, coming back to the decision i mean uh, this is this could be have this could have been the sort of thinking that just to they saw a window of opportunity now to do it rather than later where we could be dealing with a bigger mess that once the taliban takes over and they pushes uh, jihadis into the valley we could have even more violence at that time if you abrogate 370 or modify it you could have even an exponentially larger amount of violence so that was what the timing and also importantly the all the other world world powers are sort of entangled in their own headaches at that moment like us with this withdrawal with afghanistan tensions current tensions with iran in the gulf uh, they have the trade dispute with china china is experiencing a economic slowdown and uh, they have the trade war with uh, the us uh britain is busy dealing with the brexit mess europe is experiencing a slowdown and their own problems with uh, terrorism so i mean everybody is so nobody i mean uh, i mean india wouldn't be bothered if anybody even intervened but also the, the timing would make perfect sense that nobody would be really bothered to poke their noses between india and pakistan for the moment uh, uh, even if they had certain objections to uh, this uh right. spiraling let's a little bit out of control so they just found a strategic opportunity that let's get in before the us withdraws and us starts having a more uh pro pakistan line before let's say maybe taliban uh, captures re afghanistan and pushes it in and thirdly uh, the us would uh, uh, sorry the all the world powers are entangled in their own headaches and obviously the fourth angle like in the timing i won't discount is like the massive majority that the modi government received in the re-election and also the fact that china is facing its own backlash in uh, in hong kong and uh, oh, yeah excellent on, point uh, using on using uh, force to to create yeah. any form of protest there yeah. so mm -hmm. if china comes back and tells india not to mm -hmm. use uh, excessive force in uh, srinagar i think uh, india can uh, can calmly yeah. ask uh, china mm -hmm. to go take a walk so i think the timing is like 
looks excellent for now i think in the long run what we have to in the short run we have to make sure that the violence doesn't go out of control and there will to be a gradual release obviously there will be a bloody summer there could be a bloody summer and fall but once things set to the new normal we should be much better off uh let's say going into early next year and also like importantly the elections will have to be held so people will get a, ch- a chance to vote with their like whatever they think of the current uh, ruling dispensation agree agree yeah okay so uh, that concludes our part for the uh, article 370 being diluted from a geopolitical local and uh, uh, international angle and also one more thing kishore before we want to end like would be to watch out for any uh, flare ups uh, over the next couple of weeks because pakistan is under severe pressure so hopefully there are no military armed escalations uh, happening over the next few weeks uh, we all pray that it passes off peacefully and uh, nothing untoward and incidents like pulwama happens so. mm-hmm. okay so moving on to the recommendations uh, part so listeners if you have been listening to the episode for the first time each episode we recommend you to any book article or any other read that we feel might interest you so keeping the practice going kishore what is your recommendation for this week uh, i have just uh, picked up a book on uh, shama prasad mukherjee uh, it's titled uh, shama prasad mukherjee and uh, authored by tathagata roy uh, it's a penguin uh, publication and it kind of is a uh, biography on uh, uh, on uh, mukherjee and kind of explain in detail how Uh, he fought for the ab- uh, abrogation of article 370 uh, even in uh, the early 1950 so that is the book that i just picked up and that would be my my recommendation for this week uh, mohan what are you going to re- uh, recommend yeah so i'll uh, recommend an article by shushant sarin on the orf uh, website which mm-hmm. says that uh, pakistan has been punched by india's article 370 move which was like a move that uh, the pakistanis didn't see it coming and they find sort of hamstrung by a lack of options you know mm mm-hmm. okay okay so dear listeners that wraps up uh, today's episode where we covered the dilution or abrogation of article 370 and the subsequent bifurcation of the state into two union territories to continue hearing about such interesting topics do subscribe to our channel india rising wherever you are listening to us we would also like to hear from you if you have any suggestions on any topics that you would like us to cover but do remember that these topics should be directly related to indian foreign policy now uh, one th- one uh, sad news that came across uh, during the week was the demise of uh, shrimati sushma swaraj uh, former minister of external affairs uh, she passed away in new delhi at the age of 67 due to a cardiac arrest in modi's first term from 2014 to 2019 shrimati swaraj played the pivotal role in helping the world form a favorable opinion about india she toured tirelessly around uh, trying to further the government cause 
her speech in the United Nations General Assembly explained how India was now considering itself as much more than a mere regional power. But beyond all this, she was known for her attempts to rescue Indian standard in various parts of the world. Her mammoth efforts also helped in establishing India as the preferred medical tourism destination in the wider Indian Ocean region. Her social media presence was often seen as a strong effort by her individually and by the government in general to interact with the common Indian citizen. She represented India as the MEA in the 2 plus 2 dialogue with the United States last year in New Delhi, which we had covered in one of our earlier episodes. Although she had retired from electoral politics and had not become a minister in Modi 2.0, her sudden demise has shocked the nation and her well-wishers from around the world. Srimati Hushma Swaraj, 1952-2019, Om Shanti. Until the next episode, this is Mohal and Kishore signing off. <laughs>